Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And the morality of this nation is, is, is anybody's guess anymore. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Our sense of values are anybody's guess anymore or whatever you want to make them. And that's not God's plan. It wasn't what God said. In fact, God said, well, what's the matter with my value system? What's wrong with the one that I set out there? What, I mean, that's the one that sustained humanity for all these years. Why would you change it now? Well, it's simple, because the enemy wants to change it. Yeah? Anybody doubt that? Okay, so if this is true, then here's where we're standing then. If, if, if everything, this, all the changes that have taken place that degrade or chip away at our base, then what do we need to do? Look and see that there's something that hasn't changed, and that's Christ. Christ has never changed. You understand that? Come on, guys, wake up. You understand that Christ has not changed. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to show you why Christ is changeless. In fact, if you look at the New American Standard, that's the caption, the changeless Christ. But anyway, starting there in verse 1 of Hebrews, the writer begins to tell us something about who we ought to be. He says in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers, like he would have to tell the Christian church that. Why is it that the writer would have to tell the church to keep loving each other as brothers and sisters? Because the reality is we let things come between us and we don't. Amen? Keep on loving each other. Do not forget to entertain strangers, and that's probably happened too. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I know you guys want me to expound on that, maybe someday. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And we ought to probably circle that, underline that. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do? Well, I guess if you fear what can happen in this life, then that will grip you and control you. That might be a lesson to some of us, okay? Verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What did he say? Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, you want to hold on to that. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Yeah? Has that happened? It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Now, that's massive. You're going to get a sermon on that one day. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through His own blood. In other words, the writer is saying, You ought to be holy because Jesus was. His blood spilled so that you could be. Well, I can't do it. I'm not perfect and I'm never going to be. The writer says, that's ridiculous. Christ spilled His blood so that you could be. It's up to you. Amen? Let us then, he says, go to Him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace He bore. In other words, you might have to follow Christ outside the city gate, even to a cross if necessary. But we don't want to do that, you know. We'd rather 
build up the walls and hang out inside. I got news for you. The devil can reach you inside the walls too. Hmm? Can he? In verse 14, he says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And what the writer is trying to say to you is, if you're trying to maintain things in this life, well, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because even inside, you can be reached. <laughs> right? But the one that's to come, no one can touch you there. So that's where we ought to be focused. But when you try to do things and protect your life in your own strength, or through a man's set of rules, you might win a battle or two, but you will never win the war. You will never win the war. All of our faith and trust ought to be on Christ. Now, that doesn't mean be stupid. I didn't say that. And yes, I can use that word. Because I think some people, some Christians, you know, you know, go look for, you know, poisonous snakes and things like that, pick them up. Oh, come on. You don't, need to, you don't need to tempt fate like that. There's no point in that. And I don't think you should go expose yourself to COVID neither. I mean, come on. Okay? Let's be wise. But who do I trust? Right? Friends, we need to get back to the basics here. We need to know who our Lord is and who we serve and who actually keeps us safe, who actually builds us up, who actually protects us. Yeah? Because as fragile as this world is, it's going to end one day. It's going to end no matter what was happening in the past or happening at the moment. That stuff's all going to be out the window. It won't matter anymore. Because when Christ comes, that changes everything. How many of you know that? You guys at home, you guys at Mecca, if you know that, raise your hands. Let your neighbor see you. If you know that when Christ comes, that changes everything. See, that you, now you understand. It's here and here. Now you understand. Verse 15, look at this. Through Jesus, therefore, because of all these things, through Christ and Christ alone, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess His name. Through thick and thin, good and bad, plenty and in want, yeah, good times and tragedy, God is. And God's always going to be. And for the Christian, that will never change. For the Christian, that will never change. No matter what you go through, no matter how it happens, no matter how long it takes, that will never change. He's yours. You're His. And unless you give it up, that's forever. Yeah? yeah. What a deal. Huh? What a deal. Only a few. If your partner or your person next to you is napping, nudge them. Yeah? That's good stuff, man. How, how, how did the commercial go? Good stuff, Maynard? Remember that? Friends, whatever Jesus Christ ever was, He still is today. He was born the Son of God and He remains the only begotten Son of the Father. He was the Prince of Peace. He is still the only sure way to personal peace. I know that. I've, I've looked for peace in a lot of places, but never found it outside of Christ. Anybody with me here? He was the great healer. And again and again and again and again and over and over, I see and I witness and I hear about the fact that He is still performing marvelous miracles. Things that awe doctors and medicine. Things that defy science. Things that humanity and all of our tremendous understanding said couldn't be done. And God says, well, with man this is impossible. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. Even things you don't understand. He was the healer of broken hearts. And let me tell you, friends, He is absolutely still able to pick up the pieces of shattered lives in order to provide all of us a reason to still live, <laughs> even when we think there is no reason. I've watched Him turn people around because of that. 
He was the Savior of the world who died on the cross. And He is still our one and only source for the total forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of our lives into the family of God. And that's for eternity. (laughs) You see, all that Jesus ever was, the Word or God promises He still is. Either from the Word or from the Spirit that lives within us, we know this to be fact. He still is. And better yet, He will be tomorrow and every day until the end of time. Now, once you say, great sermon, Pastor, be done. (laughs) But here's the problem. You all agree with it. Everybody listening agrees with what I just said. Why? Because the Bible declares it to be true. And further, we've been taught that our, our entire Christian life. And we just know what we know what we know. Oh, these things are altered and they're not in dispute. But sometimes they still are. Because the enemy comes knocking. And when he does, now the doubt starts to creep in. You're going to hear tonight that the deeper in Christ you get, the more understanding you receive, and the more you get, the more doubt creeps in with it. Isn't that interesting? So you got to, every time you learn something, you just know the enemy says, well, I'm going to sow some doubt. When God sows truth, the enemy sows doubt right next to it. Yes or no? And so you got you to gotta grab a hold of the truth, sort out what's doubt, and pitch it. Yeah? We're going to talk about that tonight. That's good stuff, isn't it? No, I tell you, fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need to. But it's great. I think, I think you're going to be like, man, this is awesome. I never thought of it that way. I want to have discussion on that. I want you, I want, I, I, it, turns, it, it, it gets me going when the light turns on with people. Like, oh my gosh, right? Now that just strengthened me for another day or two, maybe a week or a month. And I needed it. Isn't God good in the fact that He always strengthens you just when you needed it? That's good stuff. So let's talk about these things. The Word of God promises He still is, and better yet, He will be tomorrow and every day. Guess what? Until the end of time. But here's the deal. Number one, society has bombarded us with changes. Yeah? Anybody, anybody doubt that? I mean, this is something everybody knows, right? You've seen it. Anybody that's over 50 years old knows what I'm talking about. If you're over 40 years old, you know what I'm talking about. Heck, today, if you're over 30, you know. And if you're over 60 or 70, you've seen incredible changes in society, haven't you? And you can name them one by one, I bet. And if you don't, as you talk amongst your peers, you will help each other to remember things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that changed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's changed that much. Now, some changes are good. No question. Made life easier, or they were supposed to make life easier. And some things haven't been good at all. In fact, you could say that some things... You can look right at it and say, that was downright evil. Does anybody in here, anybody at home, anybody at Mecca think that there are some things that's happened in the last 50 or so years that's downright evil? Yeah. I don't don't need to convince you. You know. You watched it. You see, the physical way we live has undergone drastic changes. We've gone from homes that had very few conveniences to those with every conceivable type of appliance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I still remember the days uh, there, weren't, there wasn't any such thing as an as a electric can opener. And every time I use it, I think, you know, and some people, they, sometimes they don't work. You use a crank one anyway. But when they first came out, it's like, wow, you know, right? And I talked about that last week a little bit. I remember, uh, I, we've, I've always had television. I grew up in a home that always had it. Uh, the TV had come around before I was born, but, but I can tell you this, it was black and white. And you got about three stations, depending on how good the antenna was. And you had to move it, too. And sometimes, Dad would say, hey, hey, move that antenna. Oh, just stay there. Well, well Dad, I don't want to watch this. You stay there. <laughs> Until we got automatic antenna, then we had to do that. 
But I remember those days, right? There was no such thing as a digital. And I remember you, if you stayed up too late or you got up too early, you turn on the television the channel. There was nothing there. It had a picture of the, whatever channel it was that says, we'll be on at a certain time because programming didn't go 24-7. Who remembers those days? That's a change, right? Our mode of travel has changed. It's gone from horses to the jet age. Yeah? I'm wondering if we're going to have some kind of, you know, rapid travel that they claim they're working on to re-ionize the body from one place to another, kind of like, you know, Captain Kirk in Star Trek. I, I, I think it's great, but I can be the first one to do it because <laughs> you might come out looking different than you started. Anybody? Anybody? Our communication has gone from Morse code to telephones. Uh, who remembers that devious party line? Anybody? Uh, who, who among you is grateful for no more party lines? Anybody? Yeah. And some people are like, oh, I love those party lines. But now we have email, cellular, cellular communication, and texting, yeah? And you can say that they're good, but not always, because you can't really understand what someone's trying to say through a text. And a lot of misconceptions have come, haven't they? The code of conduct for our society has undergone tragic changes, by the way. Standards of behavior have been lowered in order to make people more comfortable in their sinfulness. Yeah, I said it. Anybody with me here? Our standards of behavior have been lowered so that people feel more comfortable when they do wrong because they want to. In fact, in the last 20 years or so, as the millennial generation has grown up, we've seen a massive shift from what was normal behavior for literally hundreds of years to an anything goes or whatever feels good, even whatever you think is okay is society, whatever you think, whatever you want, whatever you want to believe, it's come to that. Sexual promiscuity, for example has been rationalized as being normal. Yeah? Sexual preference, including homosexuality, has become not only normal, but in some cases taught to be preferred. Why? Even though the Bible says no, and society forever and a day said no, because the Bible did, now it's because people want it, and they want to feel normal or okay about what they're doing. Hence my first thought. Standards of behavior have been lowered to make people feel more comfortable in their sinfulness, period. It's still sinfulness. God says it is. It isn't, my, it isn't up to me. It isn't up to you. It's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says, period. And no, you can't say, well, he didn't mean that. Yes, he did mean it. And I guarantee you, when you meet him, you're going to find out that he meant it. Anybody? Okay. And you know what, friends? We can evidence this fact by this charge by some people to teach this type of behavior as normal in our school systems so that we can indoctrinate children to this lifestyle as young as kindergarten. I mean, if, if a kindergarten uh, kid thinks that this is normal because it's being taught in school, well then, is it any wonder that in life they think it is? And the only way that's ever going to change is if as they start to go through life and they start to read the Word of God, they think, wait a minute, what I've been taught isn't what the Word of God says. We've got a problem here. And aren't you grateful that the Word of God has not changed? God's commands have not changed. And let's face it, is this really any different than what you and I went through? No. I never struggled with that part, but I struggled with a lot of things in life that I thought were normal because everybody did it, Right? especially as a teenager. Everybody did it. It can't be bad. And then I got in the Word of God, and I thought, well, wait a minute. My lifestyle needs to change. Anybody been there? Yeah. And God says, it may not necessarily be bad, but if it isn't best for you, don't do it. Yeah? If you have a problem with it, don't do it. If you struggle, don't do it. If it causes you to sin, Jesus said, pluck it out, cut it off. Yeah? Now, we're being extreme by saying that, but you know what He said. You're better off without your body parts if it causes you to sin. Because sinlessness is what God's looking for, amen? That's what He's looking for. That's what honors Him. 
Let's talk about abortion for a minute. Let me show you how far the code of conduct has gone with this one. I know pastors don't want to touch it, and I know there's going to be some people say, that's not your call. You used to add to my body. Well, let me tell you something. It's not your body anymore when there's somebody else in there. Okay? You made a decision. I don't care who you are. That's the way it is. You don't like it. That's too bad. Okay? That's too bad. In every state in the union, well, 48 of them, and two of them have laws on the books. If you murder a pregnant woman, it's a double homicide charge immediately. Double homicide. Well, if that's not a human, no matter where in the pregnancy it is, why is there a double homicide then? Huh? Ask, answer me that. He can't because it's preference. Oh, it's asthma. You see, abortions used to be a little harder to get, and now we have laws that allow abortion on demand up to the point of birth even. Why? Just because you don't want it? In other words, you can abort a pregnancy and literally kill a human being that would absolutely survive outside the womb. We're not talking about the ones that wouldn't. I'm talking about the ones that would, that we know that they would. And I know a little bit about this, let me tell you. Because my twin sons were supposed to be born, they were, they were, they were coming at six months. They were coming, there was nothing we could do about it. They were coming. Now, we were able to get them to seven. But I asked the doctors, would they survive at six? Said, most likely. Might be touch and go, but yeah, I think they can. Wow. And so at nine months, you can still abort? That's on the law. That's, that's on the books in New York right now. Friends are sick. It's wrong. And if nobody wants to say it, I'll say it. Because God says it is. It isn't up to you. It isn't up to me. It's up to Him. Now, if a child doesn't make it, that's on God. But if you take it out, that's on you. And why would that be any different than any murder of a person that's walking near today? Do you know that there could be, get this, there could be like a minute or two between a partial birth abortion and one that's already been born, and one's murdered and the other's not. How do, you, how do you slice that? Again, you see what I'm talking about? The standards of behavior have been lowered to make people more comfortable in their sinfulness. That's just the way it is. It's because I wanted that, and it's come to that. Tell me that's not sick. What's the difference? A minute? A minute of time? Doesn't change the status any. You know what, friends? When you can abort a child all the way up the day that a person would be born, not only is this completely irresponsible, it's sick. It's just sick. And now we've taken irresponsibility to the next level. Nearly all these pregnancies, if they weren't wanted in the first place, could be avoided. Now, I'm, I'm not here to talk about birth control. I don't want to preach on birth control. But let's face it, if you're going to be irresponsible, use birth control. Okay? It could have been avoided. It, it should, it, this shouldn't ever have happened. You want to know the truth of it? Abstain. <laughs> There's a thought. It's sinful not to be able to control yourself, by the way. Oh, no, it's not. Yes, it is. God said so. God says here and everywhere else in the Scripture that marriage is between a man and a woman, period. One and one. Yes or no? That's what God says. And the, the procreation of children in, in, in engaging in any type of sexual activity is for married couples, a man and a woman, period. It's not to spice it up with other people or change genders with other people. None of that. God didn't condone, ordain any of that. Zero. Well, the, the devil has, but God didn't. You can slice it, spin it, you know, any way you want. But what does the Word of God say? Yeah? I don't get in arguments with people when it comes to this. I... Show me where it says otherwise. You can't. You won't. Put it in there. I know what God says. I know why God says it. You know? But see, we don't, we don't want to abstain. We don't want to use birth control if we can't control ourselves. But the fact is, rather than use these things, we'd rather not use them than demand abortion when a pregnancy happens. And you want to, you want to get technical? You're, you're adults here. You know, then why don't we... Okay, so when a female's ovulating, why would you engage in it then? And you know what it is. Come on. Why are we afraid to say it? 
It is what it is. It's true. Because we've degraded that point that far. Because we just want what we want. And we want it now. And yet, I've been taught that good things come to those who wait. See, friends, this is how far our societal code of conduct has gone. That's how far we've gone. And you can see why I said the changes are actually tragic. Because if you think about it, they are. But you know what we want to do? We want to go, oh, I don't see it. Then I don't, I don't want to think about it. Oh, come on. It's all around me. It's, have, it's become an epidemic. It's happening all around us. And don't tell me the church ought not say something about it because God does. If God says it, shouldn't the church say it? And who do these Christians think they are that tell a pastor, you can't talk on that? Really? You might as well be telling God you can't talk about it because that's what you're doing. If it's in the Word of God, right, and a pastor is duly called by God and ordained and appointed by God, and you're going to tell a pastor what they can and can't speak about when it's in the Word of God? Well, you're censoring God. I think God's going to have something to say about that. Just a thought. What do you think? You see, all this goes in direct contravention to the teachings of the Word of God, which is and should be the teachings of the church. Since Jesus is the one who set the church upon the earth, and He said it would remain here until all, for all time, until He calls it home. Now, if the church was raptured and gone, I can understand why this would be happening. But while it's here, what should we be doing? Amen? This is not rocket science, friends. And here's the thing. I guarantee you somebody listening today is offended. Well, God's offended me more than once. Nobody's offended you too, but that doesn't change the truth, does it? And you know what, friends? Here's another thing. Let's talk about these changes. The church has been victimized and vilified by these changes. You might want to write that down. The church has been victimized as well as vilified based on these changes. In nearly every situation and scenario, we have become more interested in pleasing people than in challenging them to uphold a particular standard of living. That's what we've done. We're more interested in pleasing, and the church has done that too, by the way. There are those in the church, which make up the church, that are guilty as charged of trying to please people, going with the flow running with society, being afraid to step on toes or hurt feelings or offend anybody because that's the mantra now. You can't say that if it offends me. Well, never mind if it's the truth then, huh? Okay? But we're more interested in pleasing people than challenging them to uphold a standard of holy living. You tell me what God wants to do. Tell me what Christ did. Never once did He compromise a standard of holy living, not once. In fact, he told every single person, and in every message in this little no, no series that I've had, <laughs> he told them all, go and stop your sinning. Go and stop your sinning. Go and stop your sinning. That's not condoning what they were doing. He said, stop. In fact, it says Jesus had compassion on them and said, go stop your sinning. Because <laughs> he wanted them to be in heaven. You're going to hear that again. Because the sin is what kept them from being in, in, in heaven. And that, friends, separated them from God. And here's the deal. That's why his compassion on them was so great. His compassion wasn't because he felt bad of what they were suffering, even though that might partially be true. His compassion was what they could be. The status that would change if they would only change their lifestyles. You understand? But boy, do we misinterpret that one because we want to. The devil has spun that 
that Jesus wants to put his arm around him and say, bless your heart, it's okay, keep doing it. He never said that. And he wouldn't do that. And you know what, friends, because of this, we seem to want to be more focused on meeting people where they are than in taking them to where they need to be and ought to be spiritually. That's what we seem to want to do. We seem to want to meet there and stay there with them and just keep feeding, you know, just keep feeding this poor behavior by telling them it's okay, Jesus loves them and cares. Yeah, and he said stop too, right? Just as the father turned away from the sinful son, do you really think that's not going to happen at judgment? Do you really think Jesus is going to go like this and say, no, Father, no? No, He's not going to do that because they're one and the same. They're one and the same. And I'm telling you, friends, that you're going to hear tonight that the group of sheep is going to be an awful lot smaller than the group of goats, I promise you. Massively so. Jesus Himself said, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. Which one are you going through? And I think there's going to be an awful lot of people trying to go through that sheep gate, and they're going to be guided back, back to the other one. I really think that. I th- I, matter of fact, I know it because the Bible says so. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, and I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom. I'm just telling you that's reality. That's the way it is because the Bible says so, and I'm preaching the truth. And if it's not, tell me. But it is the truth, and it can't be disputed because it's God's Word. And if you dispute it, you're fighting not with me. It's with Him. And when Mayor Pete Buttigieg from South Bend said that I am who I am, you know, and your fight's not with me, it's with your maker. No, it's not because you're going against what God said, bud. You're mis- you're, 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 you've misspoken, you've misinterpreted. Don't, don't give me that garbage. I know what the Word of God says. I can read. Have been for quite some time now. I know what it means. But you want to do what you want to do. And you blow past all the things that say don't do that. And you focus on these things that we seem to want to do, that the devil wants us to do, focus on love, compassion, and mercy. Love, compassion, and mercy. That covers everything. No, it doesn't. I'm going to tell you, all the love that Christ has will not cover the sinful person at judgment. They're still going to go. You understand that? That's a fact. Can't change that. You know what? Here's, here's what I found. Instead of trying to take people where they ought to be spiritually, here's what happens. Because to speak out against these things, even though the Word of God does, we're going to step on egos, and we dare to challenge what people want to do. This is how the church has become victimized. All the church has done is stand on the Word of God. And I would dare say the church, or the Word of God hasn't changed from the day it was given. Uh, you know, who's the oldest person? Jimmy, I had to pick on you. You're probably the oldest person here today. Uh, since, since you are aware of the Word of God and the Word of God today, has it changed at all that you know of? Stunning, isn't it? Anybody in here think the Word of God's changed? I don't see any changes. I've got my hands on some pretty old copies of stuff. And it hasn't changed. You want to go back to the original Greek and Hebrew? We can do that. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. The fact is, as a church, as Christians, we've stood with and through the Holy Spirit of God, which hasn't changed either since the beginning of time. We've stood with the Lord Jesus Christ and His teaching when He hasn't changed since the day He began His ministry on earth. Hadn't changed. But our victimization has evolved into vilification. Did you know that? Our victimization has evolved into vilification. You see, if we refuse to agree with people and what they want to do, or even how they think and believe, the true church and true Christians have been dubbed bigots and haters. That's what we've been dubbed, bigots and haters, because we stand on the Word of God. You're a bigot and you're a hater. No, but you ought to look in the mirror. And of course, none of this is true, yet that's how society has vilified the church. Because it isn't what they want to believe. It isn't what they want to think. It isn't what they want to do. So immediately, but they want acceptance into God's kingdom. You understand that? Wait a minute. 
You can't live in a simple state and be accepted in God's kingdom. It's not the church that determined that. God did. God did. That doesn't make me a bigot or hater. It means God a bigot or a hater. Of course, you don't want to call him that, do you? You see, because he isn't. His standards are the ones that count. They always have. You can think whatever you want. See, this isn't a human issue. This is a good versus evil issue. It always has been. So let's call it for what it is. The enemy wants to rule this world and get you to defy God, be disobedient, right? And hostile toward the laws and the commands of the Christ, the Spirit in you, and the Father. And when you argue those points, then you are hostile toward God. And Jesus said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, I told you before, I'll tell you again. When you're hostile toward God, those people, and he lists all these sexual sins out and other sins too, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, there are some things, friends, that have not changed. We still have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? Anybody know that you've got to be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven? That's never changed. Ever. And anybody that's not saved is going to have to be reborn, born again, so that they can go. Yes or no? Jesus said it also takes a pure heart in order to even see God. And if these people within these sexual and other types of sins are, you know, in, sin, in sinful state, then their hearts aren't pure. And no wonder they can't see God. They think they are. They think they see God, but they don't. I know that's true because Jesus himself said it. Matthew 5 eight. blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What's the opposite of that? If you don't see God, then you're not pure in heart. And if you don't have a pure heart, you won't see God. It's real simple. Jesus said it. Well, if Jesus did, well, he did say it. They can argue with Paul all they want. I'm not going to get anywhere. But this is Christ saying it. Jesus likewise told us that obedience is required to even be in God's presence. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the only way. Just because someone thinks they're going to see God, just because someone thinks they're going to go to heaven, not up to them. But you can know if the Spirit's in you, right? And you can know if you're going to go to heaven because you are obeying the will of the Father. Period. That's a slam dunk, friends. Secondly, in spite of these inevitable changes, Christ has not changed. And this, to me, this is where it gets exciting because He's not changed, even though we have. And notice how society changes based on the bidding of Satan to let us do what we want so that we can, you know, go against God, right? Which has always been Satan's goal, yeah? Jesus was and is always present at the point of our needs. <laughs> Have you noticed that? He's always present. Now, it may not seem like it sometimes, and I get that, but He is. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace, Daniel 3. They had full confidence in God to save them, and guess what? He did. Didn't have to. And they even said he doesn't have to, but we think he will. He did. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus was even in there in the furnace with them. And remember, he hadn't even been born yet. It's pretty cool. Jesus was with the frightened disciples during the storm on the Sea of Galilee in Matthew 14. Now, these are, these are experienced fishermen. Experienced sailors, they'd done everything that they could as experienced sailors to keep this boat afloat. But this storm was so bad and the waves were so rough that they knew they weren't going to make it. They, were, they had done everything they could. And if it could be done, these guys could have done it. It wasn't going to happen. Now, of course, you know, God had a plan here. <laughs> hmm. And even when they doubted that he cared as they looked at him with this... With this uh, animosity, because he didn't wake up and take care of it. Well, if they'd asked him, but they didn't. They kept doing it themselves. Of course, I've done that too. I've tried to do it myself and looked at God and said, why aren't you doing something here? Anybody done that before? Stunning, isn't it? But you don't know you're doing it, see, at first. 
And then you know you're doing it, and all it does is make you more angry. Well, if you love me, you step in. God said, perhaps if I knew the question. Perhaps if you would ask something. But see, we don't want to go to God and surrender, prostrate, and say, you know, God, hey, help me here. We want to say, I'm doing this, God, and I want you to jump in and give me a hand here. I'm going to lead the ship, you know, but uh, you, you help it. And when I, and when I don't need you anymore, I'll let you know. We've done that. And so were they. That's exactly what they were doing. So they tried to save themselves in their own strength, and when they finally called upon him, he calmed the storm. <laughs> Stunning, isn't it? He comforts the brokenhearted, especially the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus in Luke 14. Again, these disciples simply couldn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. He told them he would. They're walking along and thinking, oh, what are we going to do now? He's gone. But he said he was coming back. Why don't you wait for him to come back? Hey, when's he coming back? I can't wait. But they didn't. Well, this is going, might as well go on to Mass. He's gone. It's over. Put their heads down and pouted. A bunch of them went in the upper room and did the same thing. He said it over and over and over again. He was coming back. Why didn't they believe him? Because nobody had ever done it before. That's why. In fact, when he was on the cross, his detractor said, he saved himself. He saved others, but he couldn't save himself. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, but he was going to see this through so he could save everybody, including you, if you'll choose it. And so these disciples didn't recognize him, but when he broke the bread and prayed, their eyes were opened. And even in their unbelief, Jesus was with them. Do you notice that? Even in their unbelief, he was there. I wonder if he's with me in times of my unbelief. I think I know the answer. And he continues to be with his children when they're frightened, when they're brokenhearted, when they're filled with grief, or in any kind of a need. And yes, when we're filled with confidence, and even when we aren't. He's there. Even in the times we doubt he listens or cares, yes, even when we doubt our faith in his existence, he will always be present at our point of need. Write that down. And not just on paper. Huh? He healed a man, friends. We've got to talk about this. He healed a man. And, and this, this stuns me. He was, he was and is omnipotent, all-powerful, and the master of every situation. He healed this man who had been helpless for 38 years in John 5, and this guy wasn't even a believer, by the way. In fact, he didn't thank Jesus and even tried to throw Jesus under the bus for doing it because the religious leaders asked him why he was walking with his mat on, a, on Sabbath. And the guy's attitude changes immediately. You'd think that he'd been joyful what Jesus did and wouldn't care what they thought, but he did. Well, that man, that man over there, he, he, he did it. That's why I'm carrying my mat. He told, me to, he told me to carry my mat today. Never mind. Hey, I've been, you know, on my fanny for 38 years, couldn't get my legs on me, couldn't walk. I don't care what you think. But he didn't. Well, he's over there. He multiplied fish and bread to feed the hungry in John 6. Remember that story? Even the disciples were surprised at his ability to perform this miracle. But that wasn't the only time he multiplied food or drink to meet a, meet a need. Now was it? <laughs> he raised Lazarus from the dead, John 11. This one's huge because nobody believed Jesus could actually do that. And neither do we sometimes. Come on. I think we're all hopeful that's going to happen at the resurrection. But just as we doubt it could happen in this life, we might even doubt it'll happen even then. I've known some people who are on their deathbed, been Christians their whole lives, and bring me close when they know, and they'll say, please tell me, it's for sure. Please tell me before I get on this journey that I know I'm going to rise again. Don't you know? I, I thought I did until there's space with this. I don't know. And you know what, friends? He continues to be our 
our all-powerful Lord in every situation. Jesus can indeed rise, raise people from the dead. He has. He can multiply resources to meet needs, and He can heal, whether it's physical, emotional, or even spiritual. I know that because I've been the benefactor of all three. I know He healed me spiritually. I guarantee He did that. I know He's healed me emotionally more times than I can count. And yes, He has healed me physically when doctors said, you ain't going to make it. I know that. And I told my surgeon, what, enough to you? He thought I was nuts. Hmm. You know what I hope? I hope that surgeon looks back on that day and says, man, there might be something to this. Huh? Did you know that in spite of inevitable changes, Christ hasn't changed? His compassion for people is still there. He felt compassion for people then. He feels it now. It isn't what we think it is sometimes, but He does. He cared for children even when He was weary in Luke 18. In fact, the Word of God is filled with examples of this truth when, where people might put adults and their needs above children. Jesus never has. Have you noticed that? He considers them to be just as important. And you know what, friends? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the faith in Christ of a child is stronger than that of an adult? Isn't that interesting? He shared the pain of the brokenhearted widow in Luke 7 and a multitude of other people in similar situations and a plethora of, other, of different ones. You see, even though Jesus might not do the things we want done, He will always share in our sorrow. When our spirits are joined with His, He feels what we feel. I know that. I watched Him do it with Mary and Martha. Hmm? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew it all was going to be well. But when he saw the depth of their sorrow, he cried with them. Yeah? Now, that's compassion, isn't it? Isn't it? I think he has compassion on those who aren't connected to him as well. That's harder for us to understand. But, but I, I, I think He does. But it isn't in a manner in a way that you think it is. His compassion on those who don't believe in Him is limited to His desire to be part of their lives. Remember, I told you we're going back to this. Here we go. He wants to be part of their lives so that they can spend eternity with Him, and He knows that their sinful activity, their sinful thought process is holding them back from having communion and unity with Him. And that's why He has compassion not because they're hurting based on what's happening in their life due to the sin. Oh, I'm sure there's some there for that too. But the greater part of it is if they would just die to self, give that stuff up, unite with Him, accept what He offers, now we have eternity. All of this could go away. Even, even, even to the point of death, it would go away. Because living in eternity is way more important than anything you'll suffer here. Anybody know that? Does anybody at Mecca know that? Anybody at home know that? Spending eternally in life with Christ in heaven is greater than anything you will suffer here for any reason. I will choose that every time. Anybody? I hope I don't have to go through some of those things, but it ain't going to be because of sinfulness. I can tell you right now. Because I know what I know. I believe it with all that I am even though one day it wasn't so. Anybody identify with me here? Hmm. Here's what I know about the unbelievers. If they will just accept Him, get out of their simple activity, their simple thought process, simple thoughts, and stop condoning it with others. If they'll do that, no matter what happens in this life, all of the pain that they feel will go away in the next. All of it. Is it really that simple? Yes, it is. But it's a lot harder to do. You see, you got to want it. It's got to start. You got to want it. These two have to unite, and you got to want it. And once you do, let him take over. I found out that uh, God is not my co pilot. I am. I'm the co-pilot. 
Anybody with me here? You see, Christ continues to feel and show compassion upon people today, but again, His compassion has never translated to agreeing with, condoning, or accepting simple thoughts, beliefs, or behavior as we've learned these last three weeks. Christ has never changed, nor has He changed the law or the commands of the Father, as some have said that He did. His love and compassion did not change. His grace did not change the laws and commands of the Father. You understand? His love, grace, and compassion did not change the laws of the Father, the commands of the Father. In fact, as as we've said over and over again, Jesus stated that He came to fulfill the law and the commands of the Father, and that He and the Father were in agreement on everything. In fact, the Bible states that not only are He and the Father one, but that He is an exact representation of the Father, regardless of what society or even some wishy-washy Christians want to think or believe. Yeah, in spite of inevitable changes, Christ has not changed. I'm grateful for that. That's the one thing that hasn't changed, even while all these changes are happening around us. Yeah? We can bank on it, can't we? Lastly, Christ is everything today that He has always been. I said we're going back to that again, and we are. It's wonderful to read in the Scripture what the human Jesus was like, isn't it? It really is. I, I don't doubt. I, I, in fact, I love reading the compassion He had on people. I love reading the love He had. I love reading everything about it, the brilliance of the way He dealt with people and the religious leaders and, and, this, and, the, and the times. Yet it's even more encouraging to know He's still the same today. Just to know that He actually lived on this earth is sometimes enough to lift our spirits because some people have called His existence into question. And yet, here's the thing, history and science proves His reality. So they, so they can't do that. Some people ignorantly will continue to dispute it. I know that. But you can't get away from the fact that we have physical evidence of it. Okay. So, so, so too late, Scooter, that train's already left the station. Let's go to something else. And so they'll find something else because the devil wants them to find something else. All right? But here's the thing. Even, if, even just knowing he lived, but to know that he lives today, that he rose from the dead after being murdered in the, this life. Murdered, rose in his own power to ascend back to the throne that He came from and seated at the right hand of the Father. The depiction shows us the Lamb with wounds that was slain but now lives. That's what Revelation says. Why the wounds? So that you never forget. Never forget He was wounded, crushed for our iniquity, stabbed, and crucified. Yeah? Yeah? And then rose. The wounds are still evident and visible, just as they were for Thomas. Yeah? Thomas believed after he saw the wounds, didn't he? Yeah. You see, to know he lives today gives us courage and hope. It should compel us to be grateful to the point of absolute obedience. I, you know, I really, as a pastor, don't care what, why it compels you or what compels you, as long as you're grateful for what he did. Being grateful for what He did, not taking for granted, forces you to desire, to want, to be obedient, <laughs> to be sinless, yeah, and to be better when you are, doesn't it? So here's my question, what has Christ done for you today? If you can't think of anything, perhaps you need to go back to the Scripture and find out why you haven't felt His presence or why you haven't seen His hand at work in your life. The Scripture? Yeah, 100%. Because I found that when I think He's not doing that, when I don't see His hand, if I go to Scripture, he, all these things of what He's doing comes to my mind, and then I know. Funny how the Scripture works that way. Spend time in the Word. You see, the Word of God tells us of many reasons why there could be a block between us and the Lord. It's funny, God always brings us right to that scripture we need to hear or see that day. It does for me. Anybody else that he does that to? Sometimes it's to uplift you, sometimes to kick you and see the pants. But he does it. And you know, 
<laughs> I've needed that kick sometimes. Anybody with me here? Mm-hmm. But after the kick, I always get, he always wants to restore me. You ever notice that too? Isn't that a beautiful thing he does? And he never gets tired of restoring me. I think he should, but he doesn't. He's just glad I came home. He's glad I, my thinking is like his, that my heart is, is joined with his. Anybody? You see, the, the block between us is on us. It isn't because he isn't available or doesn't want to be close to us. No, it's on us. It always has been. In fact, Christ wants to manifest His presence and His hand in your life. He does. But if you know exactly what He's done for you today, maybe you're that person, maybe you know exactly what He's done for you, then perhaps you need to begin sharing that with everyone you know. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a thought. And when they ask you, what's He going to do for them? Well... You're a walking testimony of what Christ can do and has done already. Yeah, we've talked about this again and again. You're, you're, you're changed. When Christ comes into your life, you, you cha- everybody changes. And everybody's going to see it too. From the smallest ones to the biggest ones. You're a walking testimony. Why? Because all that Jesus ever was, He still is and a whole lot more. And I don't think we've seen all that Christ can or will do. Anybody? I don't think we've seen it all yet. But one day, we're going to know it, aren't we? You see, the best news of all is that what He was and is, He will be tomorrow. And while the events of tomorrow are unpredictable and uncertain for us, the outcome is not. Did you hear that? The outcome is not. God already knows what it is, even if we don't. And this is important to know because of the things that are going on right now, the things that we're going through right now with the separation that we have over the election as well as the fear of COVID-19 and the separation over that too. COVID-19 is separating the church worse than the election is. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. The changeless Christ brings stability to our lives no matter which side you gravitate to. The great ships that sail the seas have tremendous instruments. One is called a gyro stabilizer, which ensures that the ship is level at all times. Because sometimes on a ship, you can't tell. Especially if it's a big ship, you can't tell. And you could be actually tipping and not know it. Another one is called a GPS, which you know what that is. It's obviously a global positioning satellite system, and most of us have a much smaller version of this tool on our phones or in our cars or whatever. But the one for ships is accurate to a square yard in the ocean. And I'm telling you, my GPS sometimes is told me to go places I know wasn't right. But the one on a ship isn't like that one. It costs millions of dollars to maintain, billions of dollars, and the United States controls most of it, thankfully, because... If somebody else did it, a terrorist could shut it down. That would be disastrous. But here's the thing. The ship's captain knows the exact location within inches in the vast ocean where he is. In algebra, physics, geometry, and chemistry, there are certain laws that never change. And just as these things provide the basis for the solution of many complicated problems. So can we count on Jesus to not only know exactly where we are, but that He will take care of every situation in our lives. Why? Because He has not changed. And He is still the best way of knowing where we are, where we stand, what is right in respect to what is not. And all you have to do is seek Him, you'll know. Because if you seek yourself or others, you will fail. And that's exactly what's happened. In fact, knowing what's right and where you are isn't the problem. Implementing it or putting it into practices. And therein is where our failure begins. Christ hasn't changed. 
The question is, have you? Stand with me today. And as our worship team comes this morning, you know, friends, I'm not going to mourn the fact that we don't have all our instrument players here today. It'd be nice if we did. But here's what I found. We still gather together. (laughs) The Lord still meets with us. The effort and work that they put into worship, it might be a little different than what we've had, but it's just as effective. Might not be our preference, but it's what we have. God always raises up people who are willing to sacrifice and serve. Hi, buddy. Right? And God always meets us meets with us when we try to meet with Him. He's always there. And we can worship, and we are worshiping. Why? Because He's worthy. And His, pre- and his presence here ought to make us and desire us of worship Him. So does the music matter? Does the way matter? No. He does. And we get to experience our service today regardless of what's happened or not happened or how we do it. He's here. And the sun shining outside just makes that one more indication that proves to me He's here. Better than that, I feel His presence. Anybody? That's what Christ does. So as you worship today, whatever needs to happen, let that happen, whether it's here at the altar, whether it's in your pew, or whether it's something, some changes you have to make, or maybe more spend more time in the Word, or maybe rebuke somebody that's living the wrong lifestyle, or maybe encourage somebody who's trying to change but can't seem to find the way. God uses us in every situation to do what needs to be done. And aren't you grateful for that? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.